Welcome to our first message of our Lenten series, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with Lent, uh, Lent is the season within the year when many Christians around the world intentionally focus their minds on the passion, on the suffering of Jesus Christ. The Lenten season is often accompanied by spiritual disciplines such as fasting, and so it's a common practice for many Christians around the world to abstain from something to help them with this intentional focus and for us to suffer a little bit on our part to help us on focus, focusing on Christ's suffering for us. So some people abstain from their favorite foods like you know chocolate, sugar, meat, bread, things that they regularly eat and people don't abstain from foods that they don't like since it doesn't involve suffering. So if you want to join with us uh, in this practice, this spiritual practice, uh, you are more than welcome to and hopefully we can encourage one another for the next 40 days. Actually, it started last Ash Wednesday, but um, some people choose not food items, but they choose things like social media, television, whatever causes some sort of suffering within you to aid in the focusing on the suffering of Christ is something that you're more than welcome to partake in. And so my family, we've chosen to participate in this together, uh, all of us except for my seven-year-old, but my 10-year-old will be joining us this year and uh, she and my 12-year-old have decided that they are going to abstain from sugar, and I will be uh, joining them on that, and so will my wife, so that we can support one another and all of that in abstaining from sugars and sweets. My 14-year-old will be abstaining from bread, which is very, very difficult for her uh, since she loves toast, but that's what she has decided on. So we'll be doing this together as a family. And so as we lean into Lent, as we prepare for Easter, our focus, of course, will be on Jesus, that Jesus is the central figure. And as we go through this series of looking at different characters on the road to the cross, those characters are there merely to help us see Jesus more clearly. Those people that we are all familiar with on this road to the cross and if you're familiar with the Passion of the Christ, you'll recognize these people as we go through them each week. And today we'll be looking at John chapter 12, and the reason is because of how the Gospel of John is divided. The, the first 12 chapters are commonly known as the Book of the Signs because they include the supernatural works and, and miracles of Jesus. And so this week we'll look at 12, and, and next week we're actually going to jump back to chapter 11 because it's going to give us a clearer picture of the characters there, the high priests there. But, but this week we're looking at chapter 12 so that when we get to chapter 13 and onward, when we read the Gospel of John, you'll see that Jesus' public ministry essentially is complete by that time and that Jesus' time from 13 on, is concentrated with his disciples before his betrayal and crucifixion. And this latter part is commonly known as the book of glory. Now, glory was shared about a couple of weeks ago in our Ephesians series, as well as last week, very, very briefly. 
And Jesus will show his glory to his disciples toward the end of John's gospel. And Jesus' glory was introduced to the readers of John's gospel in John chapter 1, verse 14. It reads this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, we begin in chapter 12 of, of the Gospel of John, since it is toward the end of Jesus' public ministry and the start of the Passover week. And so, let me just read these verses from John chapter 12 for us, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, Jesus raised Lazarus, died the chapter before, and, and you can read more about the story there. Verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him there, and you can understand why Jesus was given a dinner, because these people were celebrating that Jesus is alive. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And so Mary was expressing to Jesus how grateful to Jesus she was for raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And so something to keep in mind here is that a denarius was the average person's wage for a day's worth of work. So when Judas Iscariot brings up 300 denarii, he's essentially saying that this is a year's worth of wages since Jews observed Sabbath and there were these days that they did not work like during the feast and festival. So 300 denarii is essentially saying a year's worth. Verse 6, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. There was a Christian tradition with the Christian church to baptize on Easter Sunday morning, which we will be doing this year. We have interest in baptism on Easter this year, and if, if you are interested in this, please let us know so that we can arrange for your baptism on Easter Sunday as well. People would undergo Christian teaching, they would undergo Christian training prior to Easter to then be welcomed into the Christian church with their baptism. And so this was a very, very serious matter to Christians. This tradition would be that the baptism would happen as the sun rose on Easter Sunday and where the tradition of sunrise service came from. And so it was this meaningful symbolism to the Christian church to show how the light overcomes the darkness in one's life. How this new day, this new beginning would start for the new Christian and the faith community would all know that their confession as a believer in Jesus Christ was made public to everyone to know. I, I did think about having a Sunday service, morning service, sunrise service by the lake 
this year, but I didn't think anyone would have wanted to get baptized there, so we, we didn't do that. But this year, during Lent, we'll be looking at this road to the cross, and the individual we bump in today as Jesus makes his way to the cross is Judas Iscariot. Again, the, the focus isn't on Judas Iscariot, but he is a main character on Jesus' way to the cross. Now, Judas was a very popular name in Jesus' day. There were a number of folks named Judas in the Bible. There, there's even another disciple named Judas. John chapter 14, verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So Judas Iscariot is identified with Iscariot, which is unusual since no one else really gets that sort of identifier. And even when he's listed among the group of disciples, he's, he's usually the one listed last. And it's not like the other disciples didn't make mistakes. They, they all did. But Peter doesn't get some identifier like Peter, the one, you know, who's afraid of junior high girls. Like he, he doesn't get this identifier. James and John don't get the, you know, James and John, the overreactive brothers who want to call on nature to destroy people. Like they don't get this. But Judas Iscariot, he gets this identifier for the betrayal against Christ. Now this phrase, betray him, follows Judas Iscariot 11 times in the Gospels. Judas Iscariot is the New Testament equivalent of someone like Jeroboam of the Old Testament, who, who's known as the one who caused Israel to sin. And so there's this identifier with Jeroboam in the Old Testament. And the, the authors are pointing out Judas Iscariot because the betrayal is a very significant part of the passion, of the suffering of Christ. And so these characters that we're going to be looking at during this Lenten series will all be a significant part of Christ's passion, of Christ's suffering. But the story is not about those characters. It's about Jesus. And the point isn't to highlight Judas or any of those other characters that we'll be looking at in the next seven weeks. It's to highlight Jesus. That's who the gospel is about. And the other characters help us to see who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Who Judas Iscariot was and what he did is important to the passion of the Christ, but he's not the, the main point of the story. It wasn't like what Judas did is the main point. We're going to see all these different characters. And yet with all these characters, just like Judas, it's not something that snuck up on Jesus. Jesus knew of this entire plan since eternity. He was never surprised by Judas's betrayal. The disciples were surprised, but not Jesus. The disciples never even knew what Judas was up to, even when he left before the meal was finished at the Last Supper. But, but Jesus knew Judas's plotting and acting upon his betrayal against Jesus. Look back to John chapter 6, starting in verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. 
So when we get to John chapter 13, Jesus already knew. John chapter 13, verse 21, it reads, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. How could everyone else be surprised by Judas' betrayal, but Jesus wasn't? Well, Jesus knew the Bible really, really well. Let's stay with chapter 13 and, and take a look at verse 18. It reads this, I am not speaking of all of you. I know, of, I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. For those of you familiar with the Bible, there are some bells ringing in your head right now in regards to that scripture verse being read. Some of you are thinking instantly back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it is written, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Judas Iscariot is one to do the demonic work in an effort to destroy Christ, and Jesus knew this. He, he knew it was Judas when all of the other disciples had no clue. Now, how did Jesus know? Turn to the end of John chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. You see, there is no fooling Jesus with who we are. Jesus knows exactly who you are, who I am. He knows exactly who we are. He knew exactly who Judas was. And Judas seemed to have fooled everyone else with his abilities, his gifts, his charisma, intelligence, but not Jesus. Haven't we been fooled by people when we thought they, they were someone else? But then the truth about them eventually was revealed. You see, Jesus is, is never fooled. Jesus wasn't fooled by Judas's betrayal. He, he's not fooled by us. Jesus is not surprised by Judas. He's not surprised by us. Jesus is in complete control of all that is happening around him, around us. It's not like Judas' betrayal was a spontaneous one. What Judas did was intentional. It was planned. It was premeditated. It's just like any time we betray the Lord. It's not spontaneous. Things have been happening within us for a while before we act upon what was already happening or what, what, what has already been happening. When, when people claim that it's out of character, it's out of character for that person to be like that or to do that, and, and they're describing someone's actions, the reality is that the out of character is just because they haven't seen what was already happening inside. They've only been seeing what's happening on the outside of the person. You see, that person was very much 
acting within their character. The thing is, we just couldn't see it. We just couldn't see what was happening in them because before anyone sins, there is a lot that has already been happening within them, in their heart, in their mind, in their spirit, to sin, to betray. Judas negotiated a betrayal with the chief priest for 30 pieces of silver before the Passover. But there was a whole lot of sin already happening inside of Judas before he got to that point. A sexually immoral person doesn't just start committing the physical acts of something like adultery. There was already something inside that was sexually immoral in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit, inside of that person before they acted out on what was already inside. And so we get a glimpse of Judas's heart and his mind in John chapter 12 when he reprimands Mary for this extravagant gift for Jesus. This, this gift that is a year's worth of wages. Now to get a better idea of this, the, the average income in the Bay Area is over $100,000. That's the, the mean. And maybe that helps to paint a picture for us for how extravagant Mary's gift was and, and how grateful she was to Jesus for saving her brother. And there was Judas who claimed it could, could have been used to care for the poor. But that wasn't the real reason. That was his out-of-character reason. That was his outside-person reason. Inside, it was quite, quite different, very different. Inside, he was really eyeing the money for himself because he was a thief who had charge of the money bag and he had helped himself to what was put in that. Verse 6. You see, sometimes we get fooled by people. And sometimes we sometimes try to fool people as well with, with what we say, with what we do. But with God, there's no fooling God. Now some of the disciples probably thought, Judas is right. Judas is absolutely right. You know, we could have used that year's worth of wages to care for the poor. And for them, that, that inside character is probably more, has more integrity to it. But Judas, he didn't fool Jesus. Neither will you, neither will I. Jesus knows our true heart, our true mind. You know what's a decent test as to where your heart and your mind are? Just ask yourself, what do you think about when, when you're all alone with your thoughts? Just you and your thoughts. What are your default thoughts? And that'll give you a picture of what's really on your mind, what's really on your heart. And so you can tell what's on Judas's mind, and it's greed. This is not a qualification for a deacon, which Judas essentially was. Judas was essentially a deacon of a small church who, who helped manage the finances of the ministry. And one of the qualifications of a deacon is to not be greedy for dishonest gain. Well, he failed at that. 
Why would Jesus pick this unqualified person? You can look at 1 Timothy 3 to look at the qualifications of a deacon. But why would Jesus choose that person for ministry? I mean, Jesus knew. Why would he do that? And it goes back to that verse of, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. It's not that Jesus didn't know. It was so that scripture will be fulfilled going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And this greed, this betrayal wasn't something spontaneous. It was something already deeply implanted within Judas's character and he acted upon that evil that was already brewing inside of him for many, many years just like our own sins. Just like our own sins. They don't just happen. When we act on our sins, it's not something that just happens. They've been brewing inside of us. Sometimes brewing for a long time. And before you let this go any further, before you let that brewing go any further, confess your sins to the Lord. Confess your sins. Bring them out to the open with people you trust with your home groups, with, within your community. That's, that's one of the most important parts of being in church together, is that we can confess our sins to one another, and that we can repent, that we can change with the support of the, the faith community, for that faith community to help in, in our prayers, to pray for that change, and so for all of us to pray and to confess the sins that we have to our brothers and to our sisters in Christ, to expose them so that they no longer have any power over you. And then to, to work out the changes with the Lord and, and with the church community. We look at Mary, and Mary was quite the opposite of Judas when it came to greed. She was really generous. She gave extravagantly. Where's our heart and our mind when it comes to giving to the Lord? Giving our life, giving our time, giving our resources. Just as sin isn't typically spontaneous, nor are our virtuous acts of goodness. We can also follow Mary's life and see her devotion to Jesus. Now I can describe to you Judas and Mary, but I can't really explain how they are who they are. I can't explain why Judas did what he did because the guy had Jesus himself as his teacher. There's no better teacher that Judas could have had. He, he was for sure enlightened. For sure he tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, but he still fell away. This is written about in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. 
for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. It is impossible to restore them. People like Judas. Impossible to restore them again to repentance. And it's very unfortunate that we know people like this. I, I know quite a few. I can't explain it. I can only describe them to you. Something fascinating about this list of these incredible experiences from Hebrews chapter 6 is that it doesn't list trusting in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. You see, people can be enlightened. They can taste the heavenly gift. They can share in the Holy Spirit. They can taste the goodness of the word and the powers of the age. But if you don't trust in Jesus, you can still walk away like Judas Iscariot. We can go to church. We can experience great things here. We can have communion together, community together, fellowship, worship, enlightenment, gifts of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God's word. But if you don't trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can still walk away like Judas Iscariot. All of these great experience, but still no trust in Jesus Christ, still yields darkness, still yields death. And I know a lot of people like this, and it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing, and I hope you're not one of them. People who have a preference for something other than Jesus Christ. A preference for other things because when it, when it comes down to it, they don't fully trust Jesus. At the end of our lives, which we will all experience, do you trust Jesus with that? And you either trust Jesus or you don't. There, there's no in-between there. You either trust Jesus or you betray Jesus. Jesus is our central focus, not Judas. Judas is who we start this Lenten series with to focus in on Jesus. And Judas is the first person we meet on this road to the cross since he's been a disciple of Christ for those three years of public ministry. And even during that time, that start of the passion of the Christ, he's still there. And this glaring message from this first character is for us to trust Jesus. Don't disregard trusting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we start this Lenten season of pausing our regular rhythms and inviting different rhythms to disturb so that we can focus on you, Lord. 
things that can cause us a little bit of discomfort and dare I say suffering, even though so minute, to then help us to focus in on the passion of you, Lord, the, the suffering of you. And so, Lord, I, I ask that you would give us insight as to those things that will help us to remember that, to help us to, whenever we face that kind of discomfort, that it directs us straight back to you to help us focus in so that we can get so much more out of Easter, that it isn't just some holiday, but the most meaningful act to those who trust in you, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice. We pray that this season is meaningful, that it isn't just another time we go through. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, um, go ahead and, and grab that. If, if you don't have it yet, go ahead and press pause. And uh, we'll be here when you come back and press play. But let's take the symbol of Christ's body. Broken for us. Beaten. Tortured. So much suffering that was within the body of Christ. And so we remember this. We remember what Christ did for us. We remember his promise that he is returning for us. And prior to you taking this, if there is some resentment within you or some bitterness, some contempt against a brother or sister, even against God himself, that you would pause and deal with that prior to taking communion. And for those of you who are able to, let's take this together. And we take the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us definitely spilled for us during the passion as he was beaten, tortured, ridiculed, mocked, as his side was pierced for us, as he was nailed to the cross. And so we remember the precious blood of Christ spilled for us. Let's take this in remembrance of our Lord. Lord Jesus, these symbols of your love, the symbols of your sacrifice, we thank you for them, these reminders to constantly have us to focus in on you. In Jesus' name, amen.